Matthew chapter 26. We're going to observe with Jesus, again, the last Passover. And we're going to see today Jesus institute the Lord's Supper. And so that's why we're doing the Lord's Supper uh, on the third Sunday of the month rather than on the other, the first Sunday of the month because we are studying about the Lord's Supper today. We'll study about it today and we'll study about it next week. And it's, it's pretty amazing. We have some wonderful teaching every time we observe the Lord's Supper. We have a devotional. But uh, next week, we're going to look at something that, as far as I know, over the, uh, all of the different devotionals we've had for the Lord's Supper, uh, we, we haven't looked at. And I, I can just tell you, uh, this, the Godly Home Book, we, we are so blessed to have access to people like A.W. Pink, Richard Steele, John Bunyan, uh, Charles Spurgeon, Edward Hooker, and you can just go on and on and on. And the wisdom and understanding that these people had and we can, uh, we can glean from them. You know, there's not much recreating of the wheel, right? And if you've got an opinion, matter of fact, if you've got an opinion and you can't find anywhere else that anybody ever had that opinion, you're probably wrong, okay? Because uh, there's no private interpretation of Scripture, right? People who have looked at it in the past have studied it carefully, and somebody's probably had the same opinion. So the last Passover... And the first Lord's Supper, that's what we're... Can you envision yourself to be in that Passover celebration with Jesus and his disciples in that barred room? Can you, can you imagine being there, partaking of the Passover, and all of a sudden, Jesus gives you this new institution called the Lord's Supper. Up until that time, the Jews had been looking. I did figure this out. 1,500 years from the Passover until the death of Jesus, okay? 250,000 lambs a year, okay, in Jerusalem. That would be 375 million lambs slain in the observance of the Passover. Now, that sounds astronomical, but tradition has it that during the feast of the Passover, the blood would fill the ditches in Jerusalem. It takes a lot of lambs to have that much blood. So we are going from this event that for 200 and, I'm sorry, for 1,500 years had been looked back at, the plague of the firstborn death, and the Passover that delivered those believers from the death of the firstborn. They had looked at, back at that for, for 1,500 years, and now Jesus says, we won't be doing that anymore. We're going to be looking at something more recent. Now, what did those 1,500 Passovers, they looked back to the Passover, but what did it look forward to? the Lamb of God who would die on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. So after his death, we only had to look back to his death. We didn't have to go any further. Matthew chapter 26. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread. Okay, as they were eating, where were they eating? They were in this upper room. They were in this barred room. They were in the guest chamber. Okay, so they're partaking of the Passover. 
So now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Lord, I pray that you would bless the reading of the word, and I pray that you would bless this feeble attempt to preach this word. I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds and our understanding that we might glean from this message what you would have us to glean in our own lives and in this church. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. So these verses describe the last Passover observance for Christians and for the first observance of our Lord's Supper. Jesus knew what was about to happen. He was about to die. He had this last opportunity to speak to his chosen apostles. I mean, we're a few hours away from his death. One last time to speak to them. He also used this as an opportunity to bestow upon Christians to follow a precious gift to the church. A precious gift to the church a remembrance so that we might have some way to remember the death, the broken body, the shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. You all know that. You've heard it. You've heard it hundreds of times. As we gather together, we gather together and we take the bread to remember the broken body and we take the cup to remember the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Is that not what we say? It's a precious gift. It's a gift that we continue to receive from the Lord. How gracious He was to give us this gift. That wasn't, that wasn't the apostles' idea. It wasn't the idea of the early church. It was Jesus' thought that just as they needed to remember the Passover, what do we need to remember? The death of Christ on the cross, he took our place, his blood was shed for me. How, how often do we need to remember that? Once a month? Every day. We need to remember that. So after it all came down, y'all know what I'm talking about? The garden, the betrayal, uh, the arrest, the trial, uh, the, the, the scourging that would have killed every one of us his death on the cross, after it all came down, after their desertion, after they all deserted him, after his resurrection, and after he restored Peter and all of them, after his ascension, after his sending the blessed Holy Spirit, what a blessing it must have been for them to think about this last special evening he had with them. It was a blessing. It's a blessing to us today. Do you not see that blessing? But this blessing 
to all that were left then and to all those who have come and to us today, that blessing has become the center of great controversy. And there's been splits over it and all kinds of discussion for centuries now. This event has been misunderstood and it's caused great division in the church among Christian people. So he left it to edify us. He left us to discourage us. He has left us this ordinance that we might be unified in what? In his broken body and in his shed blood. But in reality, this observance has caused much controversy among Christian people. So, we'll take a couple of weeks to sort it out. And probably, uh, whatever your feelings are, I'm probably not going to budge you. And that's okay. But I want to teach you just a few things this morning. So let's look at the text again. Now, as they were eating the Passover, they were finished. There's some tradition. That's all, I would say, tradition that uh, as, as they partook of the Passover uh, event, that there was some type of rug or cloth on the table, and maybe Jesus had taken the bread that had been used and put it under this cloth. Now, it's, I'm just telling you, there's some tradition to it. There's, there's no kind of verification in Scripture or really anywhere else. But anyway, the bread that was used for the Passover, there was some left over. Okay? So they have observed the Passover, and here we are now to the institution of the Lord's Supper. Have you ever wondered, how did we get from the Passover to the Lord's Supper? Well, it was a pretty quick tradition while they were eating. He waited for the Passover to be, le- to be over. He waited for the lamb to be eaten, okay? And then he instituted the Lord's Supper. Okay, now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when he had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Mark and Luke, almost word for word, repeat what Jesus said. Almost word for word. Uh, There's no considerable differences in Mark and Luke. So, verse 26, look at the first part of verse 26. Now, as they were eating, as they were eating in the guest room, the Passover lamb. That's where we're at, okay? And then look at 26b. Jesus took bread. The only bread that was anywhere around Jerusalem at that time was what kind of bread? Unleavened bread. So that's what they used, okay? That's what they took. Without a doubt, it was unleavened bread. Now, why was it unleavened bread? Because we know at the Passover that was instituted in, England, or in, uh, in Egypt, that had to be unleavened bread. They had to leave with it and had to leave with it in haste. So all of it was unleavened bread. So this was the only bread anywhere around. Now, I will tell you that Matthew Poole, who I tremendously love and respect, I've always been impressed with uh, Matthew Poole, who was a Presbyterian, 
but I'm impressed with him because he's the guy that when you come to those difficult passages in the book of Romans, he says, this is the way I see it, but I fear I might be wrong. I, I like men who don't think they've got it all figured out with any, without any kind of reservation. So Matthew Poole speculates that even today, it would be okay to use unleavened bread but he also says that today it would be okay to use leavened bread, okay, because we are not in a hurry to get out of Egypt. We're not in a panic anymore, okay? So I, I, wouldn't, I, wouldn't, argue, I, I wouldn't argue over whether it's wine or, or, or Welch's, okay? I wouldn't argue over whether it being leavened or unleavened. Because it doesn't matter whether it's leavened or unleavened, what does the bread represent? The broken body of Christ. Okay, you with me? Just giving you a little something to think about. The Passover observance would always call for unleavened bread to remind them of the circumstances in which they ran from out of Egypt, delivered from. But again, there's no hate. We're not in a hurry this morning. We're not going to have to leave Egypt this morning and cross the Red Sea. Amen? But at the institution of the Lord's Supper, okay, I can, I can fully assure you, when they instituted the Lord's Supper, they used unleavened bread. Because that's the only thing they would have had in Jerusalem. Amen? Okay. Look at verse 26c. After blessing it, he did, he did what? He took the bread and he blessed the bread. Okay, he took the bread and he blessed the bread. It was unleavened bread. He thanked the Lord for the bread. But wouldn't you think he also thanked the Lord for what the bread represented? What it had become. Okay, so we don't just partake of it and thank the Lord for the, for the, the, the bread. We thank the Lord for what the bread and the cup represent. But I would say this. I think it's always good to bless the daily bread. I think when you're going to put it in your mouth to sustain you, that is a good time to thank the Lord. Amen? Uh, David, Daniel, all these guys prayed three times a day. For most of us, if we would... Every time we're about to put it in our mouth, whether it be a snack or sitting down for a, a, a three-course meal at lunch, if we would thank the Lord, every time we did that, we'd pray more than we've been praying. Amen? So, gave thanks to God for it. He begged God's blessing upon it. Listen, unless God moves through what we do this morning, unless He blesses this observance, we will surely miss the blessings from it that we should get. This is, this is a reminder, this is a, an assurance of what has happened. And he set it apart. This has been set apart. This has been set apart that it might remind us of our lostness. It might remind us of the broken body and the shed blood that was shed on the cross that we might receive forgiveness. Is that not what we wanted to do? Verse 26d says, broke it and gave it to the disciples. 
We don't know exactly how it all went about. Uh, and, and, and they could have observed the Passover and then did the Lord's Supper a little differently. I, I don't know. Gave it to the disciples. And so this blessing and this new institution has led to what we call today the Lord's Supper. That's where we got it from. But it is a reminder to, to bless every bite that we put in their mouth. And, and so I don't know. I don't know if it, it, went from, it went from the bread and went to the mouth. I don't know if, if, if uh, all the bread was in a, like we do it, the bread was in a bowl and they passed it around. I don't know if it went by bowl. I don't know if it went by hand. Why don't we know that? Because it's not what? It's not in Scripture exactly how it went down in specifics. And so it would tell you that that's not that important. But I want you to see what Luke adds. You've got the Scripture there in front of you, Luke 22. Luke 22, 19 and 20. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, and, and so as I was studying this this week, you know, sometimes, sometimes we take the bread and, and, and the juice at the same time, we don't bless them both. I, I thought, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe we ought to pay a little more attention to detail that we might bless them both like he did. So, uh, you know, you could get all kinds of legalistic and formalities in this and probably kill it. But I want you to listen to this. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them, the apostles there with him. And, and you just might, you might consider this this morning, them. Let me tell you, that was an undeducated, dirty, filthy, ragtag bunch. The first observers of the Lord's Supper were not highly educated. They were fishermen, uh, whatever the case may be. I want you to know that the first recipients of the Lord's Supper were a ragtag bunch, kind of like us. So we ought to be real careful. And we'll look at this next week. We need to be real careful about who we withhold the Lord's Supper from. <laughs> I would remind you that ragtag bunch, in just a few hours, we're going to say, either by their actions or the words, I don't know this guy. Y'all with me? Y'all get what I'm saying? His closest followers that he personally institutes the Lord's Supper with, they're all going to desert him. One of them's going to deny him three times and curse in the process of doing it. But rejoice. He stayed around after his ascension long enough to restore them. Amen? We can be restored too. I'm picking up in the middle of verse 20, 19. This is my body, which is given for... Yeah, so he was talking to them, right? He's talking to all believers in the Lord. He's talking to you today. If you are a person that knows you're a sinner and you put all your faith, hope, and trust and confidence in the body and the blood, the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you become a follower of Jesus, he says, which is given for who? Us. Aren't we glad? 
All right, look at this next part. Do this in remembrance of me. Don't try to overdo it. Don't try to do it again. Remember what has been done. Amen? In remembrance of you. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. And we'll look at that covenant. Uh, if we don't look at it this morning, we'll look at it next week. And Luke says new. Matthew and Mark doesn't say anything about new. And so that is Luke that gives us this given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Okay? We're, we're not doing it to cause it to happen again. We're doing it to remember that it has happened. All right? Now, Listen, what have I already told you? If you can find it in the law, if you can find it in the poetry, if you can find it in the major and the minor prophets, you can find it in Jesus, you can find it in the writings of Paul, you're going to find, you're going to find good, sound doctrine all throughout God's Word. It's going to affirm one another. So look what Paul says and what Paul left for us in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty four. 24. Just think about Luke's writing where he says, do this in remembrance of you, and think about what we always read when we read 1 Corinthians eleven twenty four, And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You heard that before? Look up in Luke. In remembrance of him. These words of Jesus were no doubt recorded accurately. Matthew, Mark, and Luke record these words. Paul affirms them in the, in, in, of this same event in 1 Corinthians. Now, I want to now just go quickly and look quickly at the controversies uh, involving this. Oh, we may have covered this way back. Brother Bob may have covered it for us uh, way back uh, sometime in looking at the Lord's Supper. But it hasn't been often, and we haven't do it, done it much, so... This, uh, this should not uh, surprise anybody in here. So let's look at number one. These are the different opinions about what the body and the blood, this remembrance is supposed to look like. Transubstantiation. This is the Roman Catholic view. And their view is that the substance or the literal bread is literally changed into and becomes the very substance of the body of Jesus Christ. That the bread, the moment that it is blessed and the, the moment it's prepared becomes the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'll just tell you, this is really gross. That bread is not the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. It surely wasn't the body of the Lord Jesus Christ at that time because he was still in the body. And that the cup would become the actual blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that the, the priest would be actually holding the body of Christ. And let me remind me that he, he, was, he physically came in the flesh. He was God come in the flesh... He was still in the flesh when this supper was instituted. So, 
that the cup would literally hold the blood of Christ. That's what the Catholics teach and believe. So, you know what this event really turns into for the Catholics? Is a, a reenactment of his sacrifice. And it's never to be a reenactment. I believe the scripture said he died once to pay the sin penalty for us. Not numerous times. So this literally turns into a reenactment of the sacrifice rather than a remembrance. We're not to redo the sacrifice. We are to remember what historically happened. Now, Hebrews 9, 28. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. So number one is transubstantiation. That's the Catholic view. All right, now we're going to look at consubstantiation. This would be Martin Luther's view. This would be the view of the Lutheran church today. Now, they do not believe that the bread and the wine turn into the actual body and blood of Christ, but that the bread and wine are united with the body and blood of Christ. It's a whole lot like the spiritual presence that we'll look at at the last, that it doesn't actually become that, it just appears to become that. So the bread and the wine are united with the body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, here's what Luther knew. What you know this morning, listen to me carefully, what you know this morning is when you eat that bread, it is bread. Amen? It is not flesh. You know that when you drink of that cup, it is juice. It is not blood. We know that, do we not? Luther knew that. He knew that the body did not actually turn into the the blood. The bread did not turn into the body, and he knew that the, the, the wine did not turn into the blood. He knew that. He knew that the wine remained wine, yet he taught that they became as the substance of the body and blood of Christ. And I'll tell you, this is just cutting some pretty, uh, pretty narrow hairs here. Uh, I don't know what they were trying to preserve. Uh, they were trying to do more than just to remember what had happened. All right, now the third view. It is a remembrance. Now, where in the world did we come up with that view? What did Luke say? Do this in... Yeah, what did Jesus say? Now, that's even better than Luke. What did Jesus say? Do this in remembrance of me. Not a reenactment. Do it in remembrance of me. This comes from Elric Swingley. Well, he lived from January the 1st, 1484, to 11 October, 1531. He was a leader of the Reformation in Switzerland. Now, this is the view held by most Baptists. This is what we believe. We believe in the remembrance philosophy. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty four, And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Here we go. Do this in remembrance of me. Listen. We are to see and we do believe that this event is strictly a memorial 
It is a remembrance of. Amen? Now, I'll get to it in just a minute. But th that term, this is my body, okay, there's, there's no proper way to translate that term into English. There's nothing it translates. But here's how it translates. This bread, this bread represents my body. This wine, this juice represents my blood. Are you with me? The bread is representative of the body and the juice is representative of the blood. It is not literally that, nor does it become that. That's our view. It's strictly a remoral. And I think number two and number four are attempts to, uh, to appease quite a few people. A spiritual presence. That's what John Calvin believes. It's the position, and I was shocked to find this out. It's the position of Presbyterians, Methodists, and most Episcopalians. So here's what they say. They teach that Jesus is present in the communion, but in spirit only and not in the physical. So his body, and his, his body does not, his, the cracker doesn't, the bread doesn't become his body, and the wine doesn't become his blood. Okay? It's a spiritual blessing that is received by faith. Now, so, so you get it? So they, they believe that, spiritually speaking, uh, that the, the bread and the wine come to mean the body and the blood. Just in a spiritual way, in a spiritual presence. But not in a physical presence. Now, these things have been contentious for centuries. How many years have they been talking about these things? And so probably nobody here this morning is going to change their position. But here's what I want us to see. There's no reason to take this, this is my body, literally. Y'all hear me? Give me one, one reason to take it literally. And this meaning is this. It's simple and plain. This is my body, should be stated, this bread represents my body, and this wine represents my blood. So what do we have to... Okay, so I, it's easy for me to say that, right? Because that's what uh, Baptists have traditionally believed. What do we have to base that upon? All right, let's, let's take a look at that. All right, so what do we have to base it upon? The disciples were Jews. Okay? They had been taught to do what? Never eat flesh with what? With blood in it. We all agree to that? Deuteronomy 12, 23-25. Only be sure that you do not eat the blood, for the blood is the life, and you shall not eat the life with the flesh. You shall not eat it. You shall pour it out on the earth like water. You shall not eat it, that all may go well with you and with your children after you, when you do what is right in the sight of the Lord. Now, if these words had been taken, this is my body, this is my blood, if they had ever thought that in their mind, right? Listen to me. If they had taken the words of Jesus literally, they would have been shocked 
They would have said, what? We are to eat the flesh and drink the blood? And there's no indication of this anywhere in the text. If you had all, all of a sudden been told you can eat the, eat the body or you can drink the blood, would, would you be shocked in th this morning? Well, sure you would. And so would they have been shocked. The, the disciples did not see any change. When, when they took that bread, what did they know was in their hand? Unleavened bread. When they took of the cup, what did they know was in the cup? The wine. So it didn't shock them. Number two. Okay, so just get this and we're going to expound upon this. They understood the language to be figurative. Uh, Mytoma, let's see, a, a, metoma, a metonymy, okay? That's, that's what, I'll, I'll try to get to it in a minute and give it to you correctly. That's using one word as a symbol or to explain another word. And we see it all the time and we'll look at it. Number two, we also know this. Some of you can testify to this. We know that in our communion service this morning, and even in the Catholic Mass, that the bread remains bread and the wine remains wine. Are you with me? People who have observed the Mass know that. That is bread that they put in their mouth and that is juice or wine that they put in their cup. All right, now hang on. We know that by how? What are our senses? Taste, touch, smell, huh? We know what that is this morning. The disciples knew what it was. It is unreasonable to say the elements take on another substance. We don't find that anywhere. Number three, the doctrine of the incarnation. The Son of God taking on human flesh. Did He not take on human flesh and dwell among us? Was that not the state He was in at the time He instituted the Lord's Supper? That's, he was still in the body, right? He wasn't yet in the spirit. So that means that Jesus had a human body and was present that moment, what? In the flesh. All right, when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, he was with them in the what? He's not with us in the body today. But at that time, he was with them in the body, in the flesh. It would have been impossible for his body to be present in the bread and for his blood to be present in the wine. Why? Because he was still in the flesh. He needed his body and he needed his blood. All right, number four. And if you're not con con uh, convinced by now, I pray that this will. This statement, this is my body, is no different from numerous other similar statements that are used throughout the Bible. Metonymy. Metonymy. It's a figure of speech. It is when one word is substituted for another term. Are you with me? Now, I will have to tell you, I Googled that. I, the reason I Googled it, I do have a Webster Dictionary. I have an old Webster Dictionary. I keep it sitting right there. Right there is where it sits when I'm sitting down to study. And I use it all the time. But I wanted to know the good thing about Google. They pronounce it for you. Okay. 
That's the good thing about that. So, you know, now, when we're reading God's Word, you don't have to pronounce them all correctly, but we've got so many tools now that when I preach, if there's a hard word, I ought to know how to, to pronounce it because I can look it up, can't I? Okay, so here we go. A figure of speech. Have you ever, have you ever heard of a figure of speech before in the Bible? Are y'all looking at your scripture? Genesis 40, 12. Then Joseph said to them, this is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. How about Genesis 41, 26? And the seven good cows are seven years. And the seven good ears are seven years. How about Daniel 2, 38? And in two's hand he has given... Wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heaven, making you rule over all of them. He's talking about uh, Nebuchadnezzar, and he says, you are the what? Head of the go. Who is he talking about? There you go. All right, look at Daniel 7, 24. As for the ten horns out of this kingdom, ten kings shall arise, and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the former ones and shall, shall put down three kings, so the horns and the kingdoms. Matthew 13, 38, this is in the writings of Matthew. The field is the what? And the good seed is the sons of the kingdoms, and the weeds are the evil ones. So there's three metonymies in one verse. John 10, 7, so Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I'm the what? Door of the what? Was he a literal door? Was he a door like we go through? No, but he was the door into the kingdom of God, into heaven, right? So John 15, 1, I'm the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. 1 Corinthians 10, 4, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And the rock was... So Revelation 1, 20, as for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So are you convinced that when he said, this is my body, this is my blood, that he was saying, this bread represents my body, and he was saying, this wine represents my blood. That's what we believe. And that's why we believe it. So, why was the Lord's Supper instituted? To start with, as we've already seen, it was not instituted to be a reenactment of the sacrifice. How many times did Christ have to die on the cross? We're to remember that sacrifice. We're not to reenact it. It only helps us remember the sacrifice. I, I, I think about, and I'm so thankful. Uh, I don't know. I will tell you this. I'm quite sure that I improperly partook of the Lord's Supper uh, much of my early Christian walk. Why? Because there wasn't much taught about it. You just did it every Sunday, Right? But what have we instituted here at the church? We never do it without teaching about it. Because he, what's, what's he saying there? Do it in a what kind of manner? Worthy. You know what that means? You've got to understand before you can partake of it. 
Amen? Partake of it correctly in a worthy manner. So, it's not intended to be a sacrifice. He only died once. The sacrifice by Christ, he only had to do it once. Hebrews 10, 14. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all times those who are being sanctified. How many times did he have to die on the cross? How many lambs were slain? Bunches. Priest. Are you all listening? Priest, altars, and animals are no longer needed after the death of Christ. Priest, altars, and animals are no longer needed. What a, what a wonderful Savior. What a wonderful priest and king. What a wonderful sacrifice we have. We also see that the elements have no power. Okay, so think about this now. These elements have no power or benefit if we did not accept and believe by faith what they represent. What does the bread represent? The broken body of Christ. What does the juice represent? The shed blood of Christ. If we didn't realize that, those elements would do us what? No good. Just like we know that the water in baptism does not wash away sins. How do we know that? We've washed a bunch of them. And only the blood of Christ can wash away sins. So they must be taken by faith to represent what happened on the cross with Christ's body and his blood. We've got to have it by faith and with the right heart. Understanding. Listen, no animals or any other sacrifice will do. He accomplished what no animal or any other sacrifice could accomplish. Christ paid the entire penalty for my sin and he entirely appease the wrath of God. There is no wrath of God against you if you have put all your faith, confidence, and trust for forgiveness and for salvation and for the appeasing of Christ's wrath in Christ alone. There's no wrath left for you. How do we know that? Because He poured it out upon His Son who took your place. It was given to be a continual remembrance. Often and until he comes again. Amen? It is to remind us that his broken body and his shed blood is the only acceptable payment for our sins. You ain't got enough money. You ain't got enough time. You ain't got enough good in you. You haven't got enough good deeds to pay the penalty for your sins. No way. It reminds us what we're quick to forget. What are we quick to forget? There ain't no good in me. If there's any good in me, who is it? Christ and Christ alone. It reminds us to continually feed off what the broken body and the shed blood 
represents, what the bread here this morning and what the juice here represents. It's an ordinance for redeemed and repentant sinners only. This ordinance, this broken bread, this, this juice has no meaning for lost people. For people who have never put any hope, who have never put all their faith, hope, trust, and confidence in Christ, this has no meaning. J.C. Ryle says, It declares a sense of guilt and our need for a Savior, our trust in Christ, our love for Him and what He did, our desire to live by Him and to live with Him. Using it in this way, the Lord's Supper, we will find our repentance deepened, our faith increased. Listen, there's no way you can hold that piece of bread and and truly hold it and say to yourself, this represents his broken body. And to hold that cup and, and say, this represents the blood. There's no way for you to do that and it not deepen your faith in him. Our faith increased, our hope brightened, and our love greater. When we partake of it rightly, some of you need to hear this. Our besetting sins are weakened, and our grace is strengthened when we partake of the Lord's Supper, rightly understanding what it represents. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty four. Do this in remembrance of me. Do what? Partake of the broken bread and to partake of the, the fruit of the vine. Clearly, this is my body is reference, reference to the spiritual feeding on Christ and not a literal eating of his body and a literal drinking of his blood. It is a shame that there's been so much controversy and debate. It so takes away from the meaning of the doctrines and what's taught by this Lord's Supper. Let us be careful that we keep as a reminder, do this in remembrance of Christ. Do this in remembrance of what happened to him on that cross, his broken body and his shed blood. Next week, we'll look at some of the doctrines that we can learn from this same scripture.